0: we're doing is we are in the second week of a series called the art of neighboring and um and so we're in the, sec- the second week. that We kicked it off last week, and, and we had uh, just a great time looking at uh, what it looks like uh, to love our neighbor. We looked at the greatest commandment. We actually looked at uh, our-, our goal in the art of neighboring is to fulfill the greatest commandment. Whenever uh, Jesus was asked, what is the greatest command- commandment? What is the best commandment, the one that we should follow, the one that is above all other commandments? He says uh, that we're supposed to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. And the second Is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so. That was what we kind of went into last week. You see, Jesus was asked, and, and we read this account in Mark chapter 12. We read the, the account of when, when this question was posed to Jesus uh, and from the scribe, and whenever he said, you know, what is the greatest commandment? And what's interesting, what I love about that is that he only he asked him one question. He says, what is the, the, the one greatest commandment? Because he wanted to get to the root of everything. He wanted to, uh, to, to boil it all down. He wanted to find out what is the best thing, what is the one thing. If I forget everything Jesus, you've ever said in in our entire time of learning and teaching and growing, if I forget all of that, what is the one thing that I need to hold on to, the one nugget of truth that that needs to permeate my life? And he says, Jesus responds with with just a phenomenal answer because he asked what the, the single greatest commandment was, and Jesus says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. You see, he was asked what the greatest commandment was, but he said, Jesus came back with, there is no greater commandment, singular, there's no greater commandment than these, plural, and he puts the two together, all right? And in that passage, in that verse, Jesus marries those two things, loving God and loving others. He puts those two things together, because you cannot separate one from the other. If If you love God, then you must love people. We mentioned last week that you could love people and not God. I mean, that's possible. Of course, you can't love them as well as you would with God loving them through you. I mean, that's not possible, but you can love people without loving God, but you cannot. It is impossible to love God and not love people. Impossible. You can't do it. To all my introverts out there, this passage in Mark chapter 12 does not say it's wrong to be an introvert let me just go ahead and throw that out there right now it does not say that I mean I get it sometimes it's nice when everyone else has gone to bed and you have the quiet house to yourself I know that some people get worn out by crowds and talking all right I get that I understand that I, I know that that's a thing and if some of you are honest, you probably want to go home whenever you leave here and you're going to go home and you're going to crash not because you're physically tired and you desperately your body needs a nap, but because you're mentally exhausted from from talking to like 80 or 90 people here this morning. Okay. That's that's fine. I get that. And this passage, this theological idea of loving people does not counter that, okay? It doesn't counteract that. You're welcome to continue being introverted, but what this passage says, however, is that we cannot profess to love the God of all creation without also loving his greatest creation. All right, let me say that again. We cannot profess to love the God of all creation without also loving his greatest creation. People. Others. Each of us. All right, we just can't do that. Being anxious about being around people is not the same as not loving people. You can love people without having a burning desire to be their shopping buddy. That's fine. You can love people without having them at your house every night of the week. That's okay. But look, since we're talking about good neighboring here, if the idea of walking across your lawn and striking up a conversation scares you a little, gets you a little anxious, makes your palms sweat a little, that's okay. That's okay. But if the idea of walking across the lawn and striking up a conversation with your neighbor disgusts you, if there is no amount of money in this world that would convince you that you need to go over there and do that, if if you would rather go on for the next 10 years in ignorant bliss, not knowing them or where their eternal destination is, because rest assured, we will all be somewhere when we die. They're going to be somewhere. You're going to be somewhere. If that's you, then we have a problem because that's not loving people. That's not loving people. If the apathy toward the people that live around you, toward the people you do life with, toward the people that you work with, that you, that you see in the coffee shop every day, that you drive around the neighborhood and see walking their dogs, if, the apathy, if there's apathy toward those people, you can't be bothered to love them, then there's a problem. people we come in contact with every day and our literal physical neighbors they need to see the love of Christ they need to see us loving them they need us to pour out the love of Jesus on them because we cannot profess to love the God of all creation without also loving his greatest creation we we talked about this verse before but I want to bring it up again this is First uh, John 4, 20 through twenty one. We read this, uh, I believe, last week. It says that if uh, if anyone says, "I love God, but He hates His brother," he is a liar. Again, those two are married; that you can't have, you can't say you love God and not love people. You are a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. Twenty one. And this commandment—that's the commandment we just talked about—the greatest commandment. This commandment we have from Him: Whoever loves God must also love his brother. We have to love each other. We have to allow the love of Christ to shine through us and penetrate the lives of those around us, including those who live right next door, including those who live across our backyard, including those who live on the other side of a wall, if you're in an apartment or a duplex. John 13, 35, by this... This is the verse that you have. If you get nothing else out of this series, you need to know this. This is the one to write down. you got to know this. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. There's one way. Jesus, what's the one way that people will know that I'm a follower of you? By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have a love for one another. That's the litmus test. That's it. That's the bar. That's the standard. Either you love people or you don't. You can't kind of love people. You can't sort of love people. You can't love some people but not other people. Either you love people or you don't. That's how people will know. This is the month of love, right? February. Guys, what holiday's right around the corner? There we go. What Father's Day? (laughs) He's ready. (laughs) Summer's coming. Public service announcement is this Wednesday. Be ready for it. And no matter your view of Valentine's Day, whether you celebrate it or not, whether you go all out for your bae or your boo, or whether you do just something small, uh, or maybe you don't celebrate at all. Maybe you just say, you know, we're not, you know, we're not really doing that. No matter your stance, you have to admit that all month love is kind of in the air. And how could it not be when it looks like a pink and red bomb exploded in Walmart? How can love not be in the air when you just walk in there and you're overwhelmed? Hearts are everywhere. There's hearts just, there There were hearts in here this morning. There's some floating around. There was a giant heart. Hearts are everywhere. Love is in the air. And Now, I'm not complaining because any excuse that I have to eat an iced cookie, an iced sugar cookie, uh, I'm down. You know, no matter what shape it's in, it's a good day. Anyone with kids, all right, anyone with kids and in public school, I don't know if private school does this, but but I know public school does this, and they they do the whole Valentine card thing, with with their friends, right? All right. So now here's something weird. I I noticed it's done differently now. So now if you bring Valentine's cards to school for for your for your classmates, you have to bring one for everybody. You, you got to give everybody something. They all get the or they all get the same thing. I don't even think you can like give levels of things. They, they all have to get. The same thing, you have to bring everybody in the class something so nobody feels left out. Now, when I was a kid, it wasn't quite like that. I only brought them to the girls that I thought were cute. Yeah. Like, I spend my money on some dudes or, or some people that I'm not interested in talking to. No, the girls that are, and in fact, the cuter you were, the better Valentines you got from me, right? Like, I had I had ranges, you know? If you were kind of cute, you got the chalky hearts that had the sayings on them, like, they're kind of cute, but they're also kind of disgusting. So nobody actually wants to eat them. They just look really nice and they have sayings XOXO and whatever. I think now they say things like text me. So I don't. Actually, it says TXT me. So not even the full word. If you were real cute, you might get some chocolates. If you were like take my breath away beautiful, you probably got some teddy bears or maybe uh, a mixtape if you were real special personalized mixtape. Yeah. Those under the age of 20 are looking at me like, what's a mixtape? What's a mixtape? I don't know. Yeah, in hindsight, maybe the way they do it now is better. I don't know. But there's no denying that no matter your stance on the holiday, whether it's a beautiful day to express your love or a holiday concocted by the greeting card and can- candy companies to take all your money and force you into feeling guilty to love the person that I'm not I'm not bitter about it or anything. I'm not, I don't want you to think that um, either way, there's no denying that this time of year makes you at least think about the idea of love. It at least makes you it, it brings it to your mind a little bit. At least makes you think about it. If you've loved and lost You think about what could have been or what was. If you have a significant other, you think about all the good times and you remember how much you love them. It's only natural. There are are tons of like extra rom-coms on TV this month. Love is in the air. I came home and uh, the other night and, and my beautiful bride had made chocolate covered strawberries. I mean, if that doesn't say love, I don't know what does. Love is in the air. Now, of course, we're not really talking about romantic love or marriage love or dating love or it's complicated love or whatever kind of love that you have in your life that you're dealing with. We're not really talking about that kind of love. We're talking about the love that God showed us by laying down the life of Jesus on our behalf. There's no greater love than this, that a man would lay down his life for another, and that's exactly what Jesus did. That's how how he proved his love for us. It wasn't enough that he created us. It wasn't enough that he, that he formed us up, that he knitted us together in our mother's wombs. He, he created the entire world for us to live in and to have dominion over. It's not enough that he breathes life into us every day. He also sent his son to die for us because he loves us so much that he wants to spend eternity with us. That love, that incomprehensible unfathomable, absolutely remarkable, unreasonable love that Christ shows us. We are to show that love to others, to our neighbors, and yes, specifically our actual, literal neighbors. Not just the people we choose to be neighbors with, but the people that God has placed us beside in our homes and our neighborhoods. You know, uh, First Corinthians thirteen, <clears throat> as we're talking about love, this is the love chapter. Okay, uh, I shared this with our with our serving teams last week. We had a big huddle last Sunday morning, and and I got and I shared this kind of the, some of this idea uh, with them. And you know, our, our serving teams actually have a, a huddle every every Sunday morning. They get together, um, all the all the people who serve on the host team and, um, and production and, and band and kids and everywhere else, and they they get together and they they pray. Before you ever walk in the door, they pray for you specifically each one of you. They pray over this room. They pray over these seats. They pray over every cup of coffee that's going to be handed out, and every time a door is going to be open. They pray for God to move, for God to work, for God to show up, for God to love each of you as you come in the door through us. If you're not yet on a team, let me encourage you to jump in. It's not because we, the, the church, need, like, more volunteers. No, it's because there is something special about serving the house of the Lord together, bonds that are created, and God works, and he moves during that time. Let me just encourage you. There's like, I think there's, like, a sign-up in the lobby or something, or you can talk to me, or you can find somebody with a tag, and they'll help you get plugged in. Let me tell you, it's, it's, it's huge, powerful stuff. You will not be disappointed. So I was sharing with them uh, this idea of the love chapter, this uh, uh, first, this first Corinthians thirteen. I uh, actually asked uh, who knows what the love chapter was, and somebody shouted, "Song of Solomon." And that's you know that there is some love there. <clears throat> There's some love in that in that chapter for sure. But but First Corinthians thirteen, you guys know this. It's in like every wedding ever. Uh, this is the love chapter. But but here's the deal. I want to be very clear right here. This chapter, Paul. Is actually rebuking the church at Corinth. This isn't a lovey-dovey chapter. We read it at weddings, and we're like, we get the warm fuzzies. You know, it's real nice. This isn't this isn't that kind of chapter. This is a rebuke. This is Paul laying down the 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 law of God. This is Paul saying, you guys, this is what love is, and you're not doing it. So let me show you what love is. He lays it down, and, and, and what a privilege it is to love the people around us. What a privilege it is! I just want to read. We're not going to read the whole chapter. We don't have time to do all that uh, here this morning, but I just want to read the first two verses. Uh, I know I said we would be in Luke chapter 10, and, and I promise we're going to get there, but this is too important to pass up. We have to understand the why behind loving our neighbor. We have to understand the why. Why is it important before we can get to the what? right, the personal application. I know a lot of times we come in here and we just want the what. Robbie, give us the what. Tell us what to do, how to do it, when to do it, so I can jot it down, I can put it on my to-do list, and and I can make it happen. Right? But we need to understand the why. Why is it so important? Why is it so crucial? Why does God talk about this so much? It says this in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, verses 1 and 2. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I don't have love, then I have nothing. You hear what he's saying? Here's the long and short of a church. You can be the very best neighbor in the entire world. All right? You You can mow your neighbor's lawn. You can bring treats to their doorstep once a week. You can walk their dog, and you can watch their house when they're out of town. But without the love of Christ, you are like a noisy gong or a banging cymbal. Honestly, what he says here is what you're doing is worthless. It's worth nothing. Church, we have to understand this before we start trying to reach our neighbors. Don't do it because I'm up here. We don't want to reach and love and care for and serve our neighbors because I'm up here guilt tripping you. Because I'm up here telling you you should do it. Because I'm up here because you feel like it's the, the, the cool new thing that our church is doing. And you don't want to feel left out. We need to love our neighbors because Christ first loved you. And out of that overflow of his love, we have the capacity to love those around us. We love because he loved And because he loves, so too should we love. Come on, church, this is what we should be doing. This is Christ's love played out in our lives. This is why he died for us. This is why he pours that love into us. Not so we can hoard it and keep it for ourselves so that we can share it with others. It goes vertical first. We love God, but then it has to go horizontal. We have to take it there. We've got to love people. Okay, I said we're going to get to Luke 10 this morning. I feel like I need, like, a preaching rag up here. It's pretty warm. Man. Woo! I'm going to start running around, flapping. All right. All right, I said we're going to get to Luke 10, and I, and I wasn't lying. If you're actually still holding the page, uh, then your finger's probably sweaty and glued to the page, and I'm sorry. Uh, but, but props to you. Um, listen, I can't help but, but be passionate about this church. This is Everything. You understand. You understand that Jesus said that these two things make up the greatest commandment. We have to love God, and if you are a follower of Jesus in here this morning, you likely felt this sometimes we all stumble, we all fall short. But this is not a hard one to grasp for us. We get that we're supposed to love God. If, it, if that makes sense, we can take. We if we don't even read this book, we know that we're supposed to learn love God, right? We know that that's in there. We understand that. We get that, and we're going to try our best to do that. But the second is as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Church, if we cannot get this, then we cannot fulfill the Great Commission. We cannot take the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the rest of the world, because who wants to come here about love for some people that don't show it? Who wants to hear that? Nobody. By this, they will know that you are my disciples, your, your love for one another. And what better way to start doing that than right in your backyard, right with your neighbors? So Luke chapter 10. This is a story that many of you have heard, and you probably remember from Sunday school if you grew up in traditional church. And the story begins with a familiar tone that we uh, read last week in Mark chapter twelve. Something very similar. And in this scenario, a lawyer questions Jesus. He asked, um, "What do I need to do to get into the heaven? To get into the the kingdom of God? What do I need to do to get into heaven?" Right. That's what the lawyer the lawyer asks. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus kind of kicks the ball back in his court. You see, the man was an educated, smart, sophisticated, learned man, all right? And, And he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's asking, and he's audacious enough to stand up and try to justify himself before Jesus. He wants to know, have I done everything? I feel like I've done everything. I'm smart enough to have done everything. He wants to vindicate himself. So Jesus throws the ball back in his court. He says, you've read the law. What do you think it takes to get into the kingdom of God, to inherit eternal life? What do you think, Mr. Lawyer, sir? The lawyer gives him, you know, the response that we're familiar with. He says, love the Lord with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength, all my mind, and love my neighbor as myself. Exactly, Jesus says. Now, don't miss this. He says, now go do it. You've got it. You said the right words, now go do it. Luke 10, 28, he said to him, uh, you have answered correctly, sir, do this and you will live. You've got the knowledge, you said the right thing, but you've got to go do it. There's question uh, as to the motive of the lawyer in the text, uh, seems to doubt his sincerity in this question, but he asks, uh, following this verse, after Jesus says, now go do it and you will live, he, he asks this, he says, uh, well, who is my neighbor then? naturally. Who is my neighbor? Okay, you've you, you said I need to go do it, so let me clarify who my neighbor is. But I think for many of us, this series has been that all of a sudden light bulb moment where we realize in an instant that it's not enough to just know the text, to know the law, to know that we're supposed to love our neighbors, but we actually have to do it. So we want to know who our neighbors are. Who is it that we have to love? Maybe we're trying to edge people out like if you could just tell me who my neighbors are then I can love them but I don't have to love the others our kids do this funny thing whenever we're eating and they don't want to continue eating but they want the treat that comes at the end of the meal they say dad how much do I have to eat like like one bite two bites how big do the bites have to be they need clarification and I give them the, the, the you know, the standard answer, the answer you've probably given your kids if you have kids, which is, you know, just eat until I tell you to stop. Like just keep eating and and you're good to go, you know? Like I'm not gonna give you an amount, just just go, just eat. And that's kind of how He's, that's, that's where he's at. He's like, how? Who are my neighbors? How many people must I love to inherit the kingdom of God? How many people do I have to show love to because I want to put that on my list and I want to go down and I'm going to make sure it happens. But but I need to know how many. And I think many of us we, we know that we're supposed to love our neighbors and we know that that includes everybody. We know that that doesn't exclude anybody. We are the the, the Bible is inclusive, not exclusive. We want to include everybody into the kingdom of God. We know that on the surface, but like the young ruler, like the long like the young uh, young lawyer, uh, we want to know how many people do we have to serve. Do you mean all eight neighbors? Because there's this one that plays music really loud. I don't know if I can really show love to him. It's really obnoxious. Do you mean all of them? That's really the main thing in this passage that we're about to read and hopefully going to tell us this morning is, is who is our neighbor, which we've already established as being our literal neighbors for the context of the series, but but also it can mean others. And what does it look like to care for them? We have to go through this quickly. So here's Jesus' reply to that question. Who's my neighbor? What does it look like to love them? In 1030, Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. So Jesus sets the scene for this story. This guy was walking down a road from Jerusalem uh, to Jericho. And this is a real road. It's still there. still exists today. still looks pretty much the same today as it, as it did uh, 2,000 years ago. And the, the road from Jerusalem to Jericho was a very dangerous road. All right? It was a very dangerous road. Jerusalem is, is 2,300 feet above sea level. The Dead Sea, which Jericho is on the, the edge of the Dead Sea, the Dead Sea is 1,300 feet below sea level. So in in approximately 17 miles, this road drops 3,600 feet. Maybe you don't know math or know topography or understand what that really means. This road goes downhill a lot. All right, you are going down, and, and it's narrow. There are rocky cliffs, sudden turns, a lot of switchbacks, like you're kind of turning here, and they're turning here, and it's brutal on the knees if you've ever been on a hike that does that. And, and, and the, here's what would happen, though. Uh, it, was a, it was a favorite place for thieves. They would hide behind the rocks. They would hide behind the cliffs, and they would jump people as they were walking down the road. They would jump out, and they would do exactly what happened to this traveler. All right, so the 5th century historian Jerome even called it the Red or Bloody Way. That's what he referred to this road as. Now, when Jesus told this story, he was telling the kind of thing that, that happened constantly. All right, this is happening always on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. And so he goes into the story about a man, a Jewish man, uh, which is important to note for the rest of the story. You need to note that he's Jewish. All right, uh, and, and some robber jumps out. He beats him. He steals his stuff. He, he, he takes everything from him. He strips him down, and he leaves him laying in the middle of the road for dead. He was literally dying. It's important to the story as well. So for the next few verses, I think Jesus is going to paint a picture for us of what it looks like to not be a good neighbor. So let's read uh, 10, 31, and 32. Now by chance, a priest. All right, a priest. Man's dying. He's laying there. He's, he's, He's naked. He's got all of his stuff taken from him. Here comes a priest. Hooray. This priest is going down the road, and then he saw him. And he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by also on the other side. So here we are. A man is beaten, battered, laying naked, dying on the open road. And here come some people traveling along. And the, the first thing that should happen along, uh, the, the, the first person that should happen along, Jesus says, is a priest. And and probably everybody listening is like, all right, like here comes a solution to the story. He's given us the problem. The man got beaten. He's here comes the priest. Here comes the moral of the story. Thank goodness. So let me tell you who this priest is. He's essentially the pastor of of our day. Uh, He's the one that runs and teaches in the temple. He's the religious leader that you should be able to turn to. But the priest, the priest hurried past. You know, maybe, trying to justify a little, maybe he remembered that he who touches a dead man was unclean for seven days. Maybe he saw him laying there. Oh, he's about to die. I don't want to, you know, be unclean, as it says in Numbers 19. He, could, uh, he couldn't be sure if the man was dead, but, but he was probably not willing to risk losing his turn of duty in the temple. So he, he, you know, he wanted to go ahead and get out of there. He set the claims of ceremony above those of charity. Let me ask you this. How many of us are priests in this story. Christians living out our lives as people devoted to the church but cannot be bothered to stop and help someone else less fortunate than ourselves. We show up for church every Sunday. Well, let's be realistic, every other Sunday. We serve once a month. We try to outreach once a year. We give money when we have it. We're good people and many might consider us to be good Christians. But when a real need walks in on us, When a homeless guy shows up at our doorstep, when a widow needs help with their home, when an orphan needs to be taken in, we cross to the other side of the road. We assume that someone else will pick up the tab. Someone else will help them out. Someone else will be able to be blessed by this opportunity, some self-righteousness. I'm going to let somebody else be blessed by this opportunity. How many of us do that? I can't see all of you, but some of you look a little offended. Church, you should only be offended if this applies to you. Can I say this? I hope you're listening, because what the priest and the Levite—I'm jumping ahead a little bit—what the priest and the Levite didn't know is just this: God puts people in our path for a purpose. He puts them there for a purpose, for a reason. It's not by accident. It's not happenstance. I believe that that God puts people in our path for a purpose. We are to love those he brings our way, to serve those he brings our way. He, he, He will bless us in the process. He will bless them in the process. It's such a beautiful thing. God puts people in our path for a purpose. So then the Levite comes along. Now, a Levite's not a priest necessarily, uh, but this tribe traditionally serves in the temple alongside the priest. And so these two guys both serve in the temple, are walking along. Let me even, sp- let me even speculate a little further. They may have been coming from uh, a religious service. They may have even been coming from performing religious services at the temple uh, to both be passing along here at the same time. So here comes the Levite. He sees the dying man, and, and he knows, you know what? He knows that bandits like to use decoys. So he justifies. I know bandits like to use decoys, and I'm not going to risk it. I'm not going to step over there because they could be waiting for me, and, and I'm not, he's not worth This dying guy's not worth me also. get. I mean, why should both of us get beat up? Why should both of us get hurt in this process? He was unwilling to risk in order to help this man. You know what's ironic is that anyone listening to the story would have thought that of all people to stop and help this man, one of these two guys would have surely been the one. Surely, two men that serve the close and are, serve the church and are so close to God would stop and help, but instead, they both chose to move to the other side of the road and pass by. See, their knowledge of loving others far outweighed their obedience to living it out. So, why didn't they stop? We're gonna go through this fast. Why didn't they stop? Why don't we stop? Why don't we love our neighbors? Why don't we reach out to those around us? Real quick, and I, I think they didn't stop for a couple reasons. Why we don't stop to love others. I think the first one might have been fear. I think they might have been afraid of getting physically hurt. They might have been afraid of something hurting them in the process. So let's translate that to ourselves. I think a lot of us don't do it. A lot of us have fear because we're afraid of getting mentally hurt. Emotionally hurt. We're afraid somebody's going to shut us down. I don't think we live in a culture where we're necessarily afraid here in Greenwood, South Carolina of getting physically assaulted by some bandits, stripped naked, and left for dead. I mean, that's not really the kind of world that we live in at this point in time, but we're afraid that somebody's going to strip down our dignity a little bit. We're afraid somebody's going to hurt our feelings. They're going to tell us no. They're going to hurt our pride. There's fear there. We're afraid of awkwardness. We're afraid of awkwardness. Another one, and we don't have time to get into all these too deep here this morning, but another one is time. We're actually going to hit on this one a little more next week. But maybe uh, they had somewhere to be. Maybe we feel like we have somewhere to be too. Maybe they were in a hurry. They hurried past because they had somewhere to go. A pressing matter. That's something that we deal with in this culture for sure. For sure. For sure. We have somewhere to be. We're just too busy to love everybody around us. Just too busy. Can't do it. I know for me this week, that was the excuse I used. I did not fill in anything on my block map because I was too busy. I had to repent last night because I was too busy. The third one is laziness. You could actually mark through this one and put apathy if you want. Just plain laziness, plain Apathy. It's easier not to. Yeah, I could walk over there and love that person, but man, it's so easy to sit right here and not do that. They passed the dying man by. It was easier to keep walking. They didn't have to get their hands dirty. They didn't have to, you know, ask questions. They didn't have to get involved in this whole process. They think maybe maybe I'll go help them this once, but then it's kind of like if you give a mouse a cookie, they're going to keep asking me for stuff. They're going to keep bringing up questions. They're going to keep pressuring me. I'm going to have to keep doing more. It might not stop here. Basically, we don't want to be inconvenienced. I think those are three quick reasons why we don't stop to love others, why we relate sometimes to these two guys, the Levite and the priest. But watch what happens next. Verse 33, such a profound verse from Jesus. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. This is crucial. Crucial to the story is understanding who Samaritans were. All right, we talked about the priest and the Levite. Who Samaritans are. Samaritans were hated by the Jews. They were looked down on. They were thought of as less than. They were half Jewish blood and half foreign blood. And so the Jews viewed them as second-class citizens. But here comes a Samaritan. He sees this man probably that any in any other context would have hate would have hated him he sees him lying on the ground he stops to help he showed compassion he loved his neighbor he loved the person that god placed in his path he had compassion write that down circle it underline it highlight it because that is jesus telling us how to love our neighbors he had compassion who are our neighbors anyone that god places in our path And in the context of the series, that includes our literal, actual neighbors, because they are certainly in our path. How do we love them? We have compassion. Listen, loving your neighbor is so much more than just baking them some cookies when they move in. Or returning their cat when it's in your garbage for the 12th time. It's oddly specific. We have a cat in our garbage. Being a good neighbor is more than a smile and a wave while checking the mail. Or kindly moving, uh, kind of kindly moving your car out of the way so that they can get into their driveway. Or mowing their side of the ditch because you realize it's a little uneven with your side of the ditch. And you want to help them out and make them not look, you know, unkept. Listen, those, those things are all good neighbor things. Those are good neighborly things. But it's so much more. The biblical definition of what loving your neighbor looks like is found in these three words. He had compassion. You know, the same phrase is only found five times in the New Testament, and it might be translated a little bit differently in our English language, but it's the exact same phrase in the Hebrew, or sorry, in the Greek. It's the exact same phrase, and and there's five situations where he had compassion in that exact way is said, and I just want to share those with you real quick, and then we're going to be done. The first one is the feeding of the 5,000. So Jesus he had compassion for the crowds that were hungry and they he said they were like sheep without a shepherd and so so he went and he fed them He had compassion on them You see a need, you do something about it. That's what Jesus did. He saw a need. They were hungry. They were starving. They needed sustenance. And Jesus looked at them and he had compassion. The second one is this. Uh, Jesus was tired from ministry. There's a story where Jesus is tired from ministry, and so he kind of retires. He kind of goes away to rest, to pray. To, to I mean, he was human too, so he, he was tired. He was exhausted, and he went away to rest and to pray. And he came back. He came back down the mountain. He saw that the crowds had needs there. The crowd that he had left, the crowd that had remained gathered in his name, they had needs. They needed to be healed. So it says that he had compassion, and he healed them, and he loved them. You see a need, you do something about it. The third time it's mentioned is a great story. As a widow uh, had lost her husband, and she only had one son, right? And now this son has died. And Jesus sees this woman, sees that she's all alone. He had compassion on her, scripture says. And so he went and he touched the casket where, where the boy lay, where the body was, and the boy stood up, started talking. You see a need, you do something about it. The fourth time it's mentioned in Scripture is the story of the prodigal son, right? And if if you're not familiar with the story, the kid gets his inheritance, he he spends it all, he wastes it on prostitutes and other worldly things, and he finds himself at, at rock bottom literally in a pig pen eating the things that pigs eat. He decides, you know what, the servants at my father's house actually have it better than I have it right now, so I'm going back home, and, and I'm going to go back to my dad, and I'm just going to be a servant. I'm just going to serve his house because that's better than what I'm doing right now. And Scripture says, and this is, this is what happens as Jesus is telling the story, uh, he says that the father sees the son while he was still a ways away from the house, and the father saw him, and he had compassion. He welcomed him him welcomed him home with open arms, embraced him, gave him his cloak, gave him a ring, had a feast in his honor. And this is the exact same phrase that Jesus uses to describe the Samaritan as he comes up on the dying traveler, the person that is essentially his enemy. That is the phrase that tells us how to love our neighbors. He had compassion. He didn't just see a need. He did something about it. Let's finish this verse. Let's finish this passage. In verse 34, it says, He went to him, he bound up his wounds, poured oil and wine on, him. on his own animal. He got off of his animal, his mode of transportation, put the traveler up on it, brought him to an end, and took care of him. The next verse says he paid for it. He saw a need and he did something about it. This is the art of neighboring, church. This is the art of neighboring. Has it it hit you yet? Has the weight of this hit you yet? Of what Jesus is asking us to do, to put ourselves behind the needs of others, to love and serve others regardless of color, gender, heritage, employment, tax bracket, sexual preference, political leaning or even religious religious affiliation. That's what Jesus is calling us to do, to love our neighbors. But church, we can't do it unless we take some steps. We have to know people in order to be able to truly speak truth and love into their lives and, and to know what their needs are. So in the case of the Good Samaritan, the traveler's needs were quite obvious. He is naked and dying in the middle of the street. He's bloody and beaten up, so I obviously know how to help him, but that's, it's not always that way for us. We have to get to know the people in our path, who God has put in our houses, our apartments, our dorm rooms around you. We need to know those people. Last week, we gave you a block map for your fridge, and it will look something like this. It's a magnet you put on there. If you didn't get one, I think there's going to be some out of the door as you leave. Let me challenge you with this, as I did last week. Get to know the people around you. Know their names. Write their names down. You can jot it on this. You can put it on there. You can you can put it on your fridge. Pray over it every morning. You can, you can use it to kind of keep straight who lives where. Get to know the people around you. Know who they are. Begin a relationship. And then you'll be able to find out how to show them compassion in their lives, how to love them, how to serve them. That remains our challenge from last week, but this week's practical challenge is to reach out and be social with someone you've never been social with before. Invite the couple next door over for dinner. Ask the neighbors to to go out to eat. If you don't like people coming in your house or you don't want to clean up or whatever, that's cool, ask them to go out to eat. You know what you could do? You could ask them as a novel idea, ask them to come to church with you hey, do you go anywhere on Sunday mornings? Do you do anything from 10 to 11, 15? Come with me. Put yourself out there. If you want to be like the Good Samaritan and show compassion, you have to know in what way compassion needs to be shown to them. That requires us getting to know somebody. I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to kind of give you just a little... uh, I'm going to pray for us a little challenge, and then and then Blake's going to come and kind of share some closing announcements with you this morning. Father, your word tells us to love you and love our neighbors, to love you and love each other. Sometimes we do a good job of loving you. Sometimes we don't, but... You always do a great job of loving us. You never fail in that way. You love us so much. I pray that you would convict our hearts right here, right now, to love those around us, to love those you put in our path, that they're they're there for a reason, for a purpose. And God, may we love them. May we care for them. May we serve them. That whenever they ask, whenever they're asked, how do they know that we're a believer? They won't say because we go to church. They won't say because we have a Jesus sticker on our car. They won't say because we wear Bible verses on our shirts or we post Christian things on social media. They'll say because they loved me well. They opened their hearts to me. They served me in an amazing way. Because that's the true test. Thank you for the example you set before us, God, in Scripture, things that we can grasp onto and learn from. And, God, if there's anyone in this room this morning that does not know your love, as we're talking about loving you and loving others, if they don't really know what it means to love you, I pray that you will press on their heart right here, right now, in this very moment, that they won't leave this movie theater before talking to somebody, before praying with somebody. God, we love you so much. May we be great at loving our neighbors as well. In Jesus' name I pray.